All right, shall we pray? Let's do. Good, good Father, we come before you this morning and we ask humbly that through your Spirit you would be present here today, that you would be our teacher, that you would transform us, touch us where there is healing needed, convict us where we need change, and Lord, be the power in our lives, wherever we find ourselves, child, parent, aunt, uncle, helper, wherever we are, Lord, in our family story. Be our power and our transformer. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, and in case you ever doubted about the power of the arts in a church setting, uh, I just want to especially thank Darren Callahan, our lead singer, for that last song, that Everclear song, because that was profoundly autobiographical for Darren. Almost point plot point for plot point, that was Darren's story. And um, through God's healing power, it includes becoming a father himself and taking the brokenness that he received from an absent father who walked away from him. And thank God there was a, a, a stepfather there that adopted Darren, gave him a new name. And then God the Father adopted Darren too. And through the power of God, he's raised his own children in that setting. So God can change anything, but just a, an amazing story there. And if you ever do wonder about why the arts uh, matter and how that can have an impact in gospel work, there you go. Well, we're going to spend the next four weeks uh, sifting out what we can learn from the bad guys in a few iconic Disney movies. The mad scientists at AC3 Labs have identified bad guy plot lines from your favorite animated classics that line up nicely with some biblical bad guys, and there's a lot to learn from these stories. For example, there's this guy, Hans Westergaard, turns out it's his last name. He's the 13th prince of the Southern Isles, and knowing that he will be unable to inherit the throne of his own country, he concocts a scheme to usurp the throne of another country through marriage. Although he is portrayed as honest and noble throughout most of the film, he is later revealed to be deceptive, calculating, and cruel in nature. Now this is Adonijah. His story comes from the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read this to you now, but I'm leaving out a couple of biographical details for the moment so I can surprise you with them a little later. Here it is, 1 Kings 1, 5 through 6. Adonijah was the son of a great king and his wife, Haggith. He came forward and announced, I'm going to be the next king. So he got chariots and horses ready. He also got 50 men to run in front of him. And that's just an old-timey Bible way of saying he had quite an entourage. His father had never tried to stop him from doing what he wanted to. His father had never asked him, why are you acting the way you do? Adonijah was also very handsome. And now that his older brother was dead, Adonijah was the king's oldest son. You see the parallels between the two characters? Arrogance, a desire for power they're not entitled to, conniving and spoiled. Fairy tale families, historical biblical families, today's families. It doesn't matter where you look, it's, it's all jacked up. Now one thing I've learned from 25 years in ministry, no matter what it looks like on the outside, like Rick talked about last week, behind the front doors of our houses here in Snohomish County, it's pretty messy everywhere you go. So given that this is a historical reality, it just seems to be families are messed up everywhere, is it, is it unrealistic 
for us to expect peace and love and joy in our family lives? No. But we've got to understand that things like a peaceful and loving family are the result of something else. A peaceful, loving family life is not the cure for our problems. A peaceful, loving family life comes after we apply the cure. If you remember one thing from our Disney villain this week, I hope it would be this. You will not find perfect peace and love from your family, but if you seek peace and love from God, it will eventually spread to your family. Does that make sense? So, what's this cure? Well, a great place to start is obedience. Simply doing what God says we should do regarding our families. And that starts with the parents of the villains. Oh yeah, you thought Adonijah was the bad guy. Plot twist! It starts with his dad. Verse 6 that I just read for you, his father never tried to stop him from doing what he wanted to. His father never asked him, why are you acting the way you do? Well, the fine people at Disney don't tell us much about Han's parentage, but we know a lot about Adonijah's dad. And who is he? Well, let's fill in the gaps. Adonijah was the son of David and his wife Haggith. And in the last verse you see there, now that Absalom was dead, Adonijah was David's oldest son. How many people here are familiar with King David from the Bible? Raise your hand if you know heard about okay a lot of you in case let's fill in some of the big biographical bits that will make him familiar to almost all of us he is known for killing the giant goliath when he was a boy right for writing many beautiful songs if you open your bible right to the middle to the psalms most of those were written by david and he's known for being israel's greatest king but he's also known for being a pretty rotten parent David did not obey the parenting principles laid out by God, and his children suffered for it. Listen to the condition of David's family into which Adonijah was born. A house full of feuding stepchildren and half-siblings from multiple marriages, an illicit affair which produced an illegitimate, illegitimate child who died within a week, a murder to cover up the affair, a son who raped his half-sister, Another son who murders the rapist, his brother, and then sleeps with his father's mistress. The same son leaves town for two years, doesn't speak to his dad for four, and then quietly tries to turn the whole country against his father and take over. When that doesn't work, he leads an all-out revolt that ultimately leads to his own death. All of this before Adonijah even shows up in the story. Now, the following statement might be so obvious that it's hard to see. So let me just make it clear. If David had just obeyed God's rules, none of that would have happened. Not a single one. If he'd just done what God had asked him to do, what God had commanded him to do. So, paradoxically, we don't have a lot to explore regarding Adonijah himself. We just know he's a villain. But how we can really learn is explore how he got that way. Now, someday Disney might make a movie of Prince Hans's origin story, but we don't have to wait for Adonijah's. We've got David's story in all its gory detail. And there were three major areas where David did not obey godly principles for family, and he produced a couple of real villains because of it. So parents, grown-ups, People who have influence in children's lives, the rest of this is for you. 
The three areas where David failed. First, he wasn't around when he should have been. We've already read that David was uninvolved with Adonijah, but this was a parenting pattern for David. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21 reveals that when one of David's older sons, Amnon, raped his own sister, David had to hear about it from someone else. You would think that a parent who was involved with his family and had healthy lines of communication would have known about something like this. But he had to hear about it through the grapevine. You know, studies have shown that here in the U.S., the average amount of time parents and children spend talking with each other is 14 minutes a week. Average. Kids need more with time with parents than that. And if they don't get it, one of the first things that suffers is discipline. Example. Do you know how David reacted when he heard about his own daughter's rape? 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21. Quote, he was angry, period. Unquote. That's it? His son raped his daughter and he's angry? He does nothing else? Let me ask you. Which is a bigger problem? The bad things that kids will sometimes do or parents who refuse to take any action when their kids do bad things? The truth is, if a kid throws a temper tantrum or steals a piece of candy or hits his little brother, the world doesn't come to an end. It's really not a big deal, right? But if the parent doesn't discipline the child, (laughs) If the parent doesn't discipline the child, what's to prevent that child from growing into someone capable of much worse? What's standing in their way? The cute little candy stealer starts stealing bigger things. If they're never punished, and if the child who hits his brother is never corrected, he might grow up into somebody who hits his wife. Do we really need more selfish people, thieves and wife beaters? that we're looking for? People don't become villains overnight. It starts with their families. Some of you may be thinking, ah, Hazen, you're just a reactionary old white guy. But uh, it's not just me. So grown-ups, listen to this. From the American College of Pediatrics. Okay, so this is the scientist. This is their statement, their formal statement on child discipline. The fundamental goal of parenting is to teach and assist the child in acquiring character traits such as self-control, teachability, respectfulness, integrity, honesty, and competency. And this one sounds like it comes right from the Bible. These traits do not come naturally to the infant, toddler, or preschooler. (laughs) Some of you might be surprised because the world's telling you something different right now. But the scientists tell you this does not come naturally. But through the disciplinary process, a child will acquire them to some degree. Discipline is defined as training expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior, especially training that produces moral or mental improvement. I love that paragraph. And that comes from the American College of Pediatrics. You see, when your child hits, interrupts, screams, tantrums, nags, demands and manipulates, there are two possible outcomes. Number one, you neglect to discipline the child and she learns that these behaviors are effective and acceptable and her character takes shape around these behaviors. So as she grows, her character simply becomes a more adult version of the child. We see this played out 
on reality TV, at the customer service desk, on the freeway, professional sports, in Washington, D.C., and every week on Cops. Selfish, irrational demands, an inability to recognize the value of other people, and a sense that the rules don't apply to them. That started here. Or two, the other outcome, you discipline the child and he learns that these behaviors are not acceptable. And as he grows, his character forms around self-control, personal responsibility, love, and respect. See, villainy and heroism start in the nursery, parents. Back to David. Now, motivated by revenge, David's older, brothers, uh, David's older son, Absalom, conceived an elaborate scheme to murder his brother Amnon the rapist. For his scheme to work, he needed his dad to give permission for all the sons to go off for a weekend party. At first, David said no. But chapter 13, verse 27 of 2 Samuel reveals yet another way David wasn't there for his kids. Quote, But when Absalom urged him, he let all the king's sons go with him. In other words, he pressed, he pressured, he whined, Dad, come on! All right, fine, get off me. That's what I hear David saying. Fine, I don't have time for this. David surrendered his parental authority, and because he did, Absalom was able to get Amnon drunk and then had his personal servants beat him to death. And when you see kids getting into trouble, what's the first question that comes to your mind? Where are the parents? <laughs> That's the first question. Where are the parents? I'll tell you where some of them are. They're where David was, sitting at home intimidated. They've been begged, manipulated, or nagged into letting the children make decisions for themselves rather than helping the children to make good decisions and protecting them from the worst ones. Parents, you have got to say no to your kids sometimes and stick to it. Because villains are trained, not born. Second mistake David made. He modeled bad behaviors. Behaviors like just surrendering to all of his own desires. We're told that David couldn't sleep one night, so he went for a walk and saw Bathsheba. The rest is history. He surrendered. He used his power to coerce her into bed. In an interview, former U.S. President Bill Clinton was asked why he had an affair. And he said, quote, because I could, unquote. Current President Donald Trump has made astounding statements about his use of power to sexually assault women. In other words, the world's most senior leaders have clearly said, if you can get away with it, why don't you? Well, I'll tell you one good reason. Because people are learning from your example, that's why. The Bible says Amnon was obsessed with his sister Tamar to the point of making himself sick over her. And so he finally just took what he wanted. It's what his dad, the king, did. David never taught Amnon that he can't have everything he wants because David took everything that he wanted. Ah, but one thing David did teach his kids, deceit. They learned well. How to cover your tracks. Make excuses. Blame the victim. Blame the system. Wipe out the evidence. Minimize. Stretch the truth. Or kill the witnesses. 
Did you know what David did after his affair with Bathsheba produced a child? Couldn't hide it anymore because there was a baby. He had Bathsheba's husband killed while he was courageously, loyally fighting a war for his king, David. Wow. Amnon pretended to be sick and lured Tamar into a place where he could rape her. He learned that trick from his dad. Absalom learned too. He coaxed his brother off to an isolated place so he could kill him, turned key royal officials against his dad, and managed to get control of most of the army without his dad discovering it. Adonijah later conspired with many of his his own father's friends to take the throne unsuccessfully. David taught deceit, and his children were excellent students. Next time you tell a lie, you know, just a little white lie, The next time you keep extra change that you were mistakenly given. The next time you say about the taxes, ah, they'll never miss it. The next time you verbally berate your spouse or curse someone for being fat or stupid, look around and see who's watching you. Ask yourself what kind of person you want them to be because villains are trained. They're not born. The third area where David made a major mistake. He didn't understand the principle of reaping and sowing. This seems to be a universal concept, but ironically, it's the one that we just don't seem to fully grasp either. Jesus used the phrase reaping and sowing. The Hindus, you'll hear them talk about karma. Uh, We almost, I think all of us know the phrase, what goes around comes around. It's all the same principle. Everyone understands this principle as it works out in the physical world, right? Even little kids know you touch a hot stove, you get burned. You tease the mean dog down the street, you're going to be bitten. But what about our behavioral worlds? Well, cry loud enough and long enough and you'll finally get mommy's attention. When mom yells, stop it, you've still got plenty of time before she actually does anything. So just keep doing what you're doing. These are examples of planting certain behavioral seeds directly into your child and then harvesting what grows very quickly. But the really bitter harvests are the ones that grow slowly. The ones that were planted years before, maybe even before you had children. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 reads, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. So when there are seeds planted, there will be a harvest somewhere. And the longer you try to avoid the harvest, the more bitter it becomes. What do you think the Bible means when it says, out of your own flesh you shall reap corruption? What does that mean? Well, it means even if you don't reap the bitter harvest, your children will, and your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren, your flesh will reap the harvest of the seeds you plant. It's not about whether you sow seeds or whether you reap a harvest. It's just a matter of when and what kind. If I beat my daughters and mistreat them, it will have an effect on, for example, who they choose for husbands and how they raise their own children someday, no? Seeds I plant grow in my children's lives. Parents, 
Every move you make sow seeds that will one day, for good or bad, be harvested in your children's lives. There is no action you take or fail to take that does not produce something in your child's life. We see the ultimate example of this once again in David's life because David sowed death and Absalom reaped it. Many years before Absalom's rebellion and murder, God had spoken to David through the prophet Nathan. And he said the following. So I want you to hear this. This is God speaking to David through the prophet Nathan. And this is what God said. David, I made you a king. By the way, this passage I'm about to read is what I think is personally one of the saddest passages in all of Scripture. God says to David, I made you a king. I gave you everything your master had and more. I gave you a whole nation to rule. And if it hadn't been enough, I would have given you even more. So why did you respond with such evil, doing the things that I hate? You killed a man with the sword and took his wife. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. The sword will never depart from your house. Now, many people have read that passage and others like it over time, and they see it as God taking a direct curse on David. No. David brought it on himself. This is not God saying, now I'm sticking the sword in your family. God's saying, you stuck the sword in your family. This is what's going to happen as a natural consequence of the choices you made. I don't have to come down and curse you. You did it. You did it. God is sending us a message. The choices we make today that seem to have no connection to our kids at all have very intimate connections. With every critical word, we scatter seed. With every broken promise and with every missed opportunity, we plant something in our children. With every addiction we surrender to, with every marriage we give up on, with every unhealthy relationship we drag them through, we sow seeds. Every time we surrender our parental authority to our kids because we're just too tired to discipline them or we think it doesn't really matter, we're planting seeds in them. Every harsh word shouted and every gentle word unspoken will grow into something. Be aware of the law of reaping and sowing, my friends. So, am I saying that if you spend enough quality time with your children, if you model good behavior for them, discipline them, and flawlessly plant only good seeds in their life, your family will be whole, healthy, and happy. If you do everything David did not, your life will be great. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that villains are made, not born. Yes, our Christian doctrine states that every human being is born with a bent towards sin. So in that sense, we're all villains. But I'm not talking about universal human selfishness, lying, or greed. I'm not talking about the human frailties we all share, like cowardice and sloth. When I say villains are made, I'm talking about Disney-level, biblical villains. I'm talking about someone like Hans or Adonijah who made it to adulthood and at the center of their characters, their distinguishing feature is evil. 
Adonijah, Hans, and other villains you will meet in the rest of this series are not accidents. God did not force them into their roles. They have origin stories. They came from somewhere. Yes, it's true that at some point, villains cross a boundary of personal choice. They become responsible for setting the direction of their own lives and they bear full responsibility. But for today, as we head into this series, learning what we can from the bad guys, I want us to remember that every bad guy had a beginning and that means each of us has the chance to influence someone else's beginning. Every bad guy had a beginning. And that means that each of us has the chance to influence someone else's beginning. And not just parents. Grown-ups, whoever you are, you have influence. You can spend time with the young ones in your life. See them. Bring them along with you. Don't just treat them like a pet or an extension of yourself. Treat them like people, image bearers of God who deserve respect and your attention. Volunteer in Creek Kids or the youth group or your kid's school. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 reads, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And don't forget discipline. Some of you cringe with that word because you think it means beatings. Wrong. It comes from the same root as disciple. It simply means to teach, and more specifically to teach through correction. In an increasingly pluralistic society, it is less and less acceptable to hold that one thing is right and another is wrong. It's thought that this is uh, intolerant and unloving. So parents, teachers, and other grown-ups are buying into the fallacy that correcting a child's character faults is somehow suppression or coercion or even abuse of a child. It's not. Ironically, it's the opposite. Abandoning a child to, to the cold and lonely wilderness of their own impulses with no discipline is the height of cruelty. It's child abandonment. When a parent withholds consequences for a tantrum or a lie, it's not loving. It's selfish. And based on either laziness or self-protection, they're either too tired or too concerned with how they're going to look. Here's a famous biblical quote on discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Every time I've read about or heard that passage taught, it's been contextualized from the point of view of the one being disciplined. It makes sense, right? The discipline is unpleasant for the one being disciplined, but it eventually pays off for them. But I want you to just reread that now from the point of view of the one doing the discipline. It still works, doesn't it? Grown-ups, our kids need us to do the hard work of discipline for them. When we discipline lovingly, we're going to suffer too. And we learned from David and Adonijah that discipline is a potent deterrent to growing a villain. Finally, ask yourself what seeds you're planting in the gardens of your children around you. What are you teaching by example? 
AC3, I've got to tell you, I regularly worry about what our kids see in us. The contradictions that we live out. We come to church and put them in Creek Kids to learn love for neighbor, but they listen to hate pour out of us in the car on the ride home. We want kids to respect our authority, but we trash talk to cops, teachers, and leaders right in front of them. We think they should have patience, but they watch us in traffic. They should be generous, but they see our checkbooks. We want them to tell the truth, but oh, they know where the bodies are buried in our own homes, don't they? Even the youngest child knows the parable Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6, verse 44. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. You see, church, when we learn about villains, we're really learning about ourselves. The temptation in a series like this is to collect a bunch of ammunition to shoot at our enemies, those whom we have cast as the villains in our own life stories. And without question, there are villains out there, and I I know enough of your stories and a few of my own to know that's true. But after following Jesus for 25 years, I've learned not to look past the plank in my own eye. If God's plan was simply to make my life great, save me from any potential hardship, and grant me every blessing I could want, he would have just eliminated all the villains in my life, right? The problem is that means he would have had to eliminate me too. You see, God's plan is much bigger than my own happiness. It's much bigger than your happiness. He is interested in our holiness. That means being set apart, growing us up, making us pure through Christ. And that means confronting the villains in ourselves. For the next three weeks, can we agree to suspend our, ju- our judgment of others and turn the light on ourselves instead? Now that means I want you to stop judging your spouse. I want you to start, stop judging the ex who you have to share a parenting with. Just for the next three weeks, just put that aside. Stop judging the neighbors down the street. Stop judging the other family at school. Stop judging the other family at church. Stop judging the people you see on TV. And I want you to turn the light on yourself. Parents, let's look at the influence you are having on your children. Can we leave the consumer culture outside the walls for the rest of October? Stop asking what's in it for me. Stop asking to see the manager. And instead, ask how did I contribute to this jacked up situation? Can we stop racing to see who can be the most empowered victim and instead take ownership of the part we play in our own suffering? Because you play a part. I play a part. Christians in the room, you have to acknowledge that when you signed on to Team Jesus, you gave up the role of hero in your own movie. Your life is just the set. Your world are the props. You're the supporting cast and the comic relief and the hapless victim, and you're the villain. You're all those things at once. The one thing you are not is the hero. Jesus is the hero. And if if you're not a Christian today, this might sound nuts to you. Who wouldn't want to be the hero of their own story? 
Well, I'll tell you, me, me and every other follower of Jesus who has been confronted by their own evil and bottomless need in 3D sound surround THX Pixar level animation, unavoidable, in your face. I don't want that guy to be the hero. Friend, if you're here today and you're just exploring the idea of Christianity, let me give you the bad news first. The opening scene of every movie telling the story of a Christian shows them leaving behind their black hat and cape at the foot of the cross. It's called repentance. Leaving our old villainous ways behind us, replaced by the forgiveness of Jesus. But we can't repent of what we won't admit. So, Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, will you be willing, along with me, to take an unblinking look at the villains who live inside us? And perhaps, by the end of the month, we can find the courage to let them go, even as we draw closer to Jesus, the hero of every story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King, good King, we are so grateful that you made a way for us, that through your sacrifice, through the power that you've made available to us in your Holy Spirit, we are not doomed, we are not cursed to live out reaping what we have sown because every single one of us in this room have sown, have sown awful seeds. But Lord, through your mercy, through your grace, through the power of the cross, you have given us a way to instead reap love and hope and eternal life. And we are so grateful for that. Lord, help us to understand the mystery of that. Through the teaching of your word, Lord, may we become more and more like you. May we live out the story that you have written for us, even the chapters yet to come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for kicking off this series with us, friends. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, We are going to do extended here in just about two minutes where we're going through our applications curriculum, learning to be better disciples. Be here next week as we look into our next Disney villain. See you then.